0: Okay, well with all the events going on in Ukraine and on the news, it's common today now to see images of cities that are just shelled and buildings that are crumbled, streets that are strewn with cinder blocks, smoke rising up to the sky. And that gives us a little bit of a picture probably of what was in the mind, the last images in the mind of the man whose book we're going to be reading this morning, Daniel. It was the last images, probably, of his own city, Jerusalem, and the crowning glory of Jerusalem, his temple, which had been leveled and uh, just destroyed by invading armies who came and then took the Jewish people out into exile. You. Maybe you feel like there are bombs exploding in your life in a very different way Sin and the suffering that that sin brings uh, Just making making you feel utterly desolate And far from God The text that we're looking at this morning And it's Daniel chapter 9 It addresses that It's for people who feel far from God People who whose sin pushes them away from God Remember these are people who were in exile In Babylon because of their sin It's for people who have felt like They're in the darkness for a long time Seventy years they've been here. But it's for a people whose God is the Lord, who is always faithful and keeps his promises. And into the darkness, God speaks to them, and he gives Daniel this vision to give them hope. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Again, we're in Daniel chapter 9. It'll be displayed up on the screen, but I I would encourage you, I think you'll be helped if you have it open in front of you as well, because we'll be looking back at the passage quite frequently as we go through our sermon this morning. Daniel chapter 9, we're going to read verses 20 through 27. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, "'Consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are declared about your people and your holy city "'to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, "'and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, "'to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place.'" "...know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary." Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Let's pray. God in heaven, we come to you knowing that you are the very same God who gave this vision to Daniel so many years ago. So we're praying that you would please give us understanding of it. It's complicated. People disagree on what it means. We need your help. Would you give us understanding? Would you please nourish our souls with it and give us hope and and help us to see Jesus Christ in it? And would you use it to bear fruit in our lives? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are a couple of things uh, I want to bring up from this passage. I I do want to say that this is a complicated passage I recognize, and different people disagree on what exactly it means. I'll give to you what I believe uh, the the text points us to and what I believe God wants us to understand. The first thing that uh, I think God would want us to know from this passage and what he teaches us is that God answers the prayers of his repentant people for salvation from their sin. God answers their prayers when they ask for salvation from sin. This vision in chapter 9, don't forget, doesn't come out of the blue. It comes as a response to Daniel's prayer earlier in this chapter that was preached on last week. And, and it's emphasized that it comes as a response. Look at verses 20 and 21 with me. While I was speaking and praying... And then verse 21, while I was speaking in prayer, Gabriel came. God heard Daniel's prayer, and he answers it. Daniel had been praying for God to restore his city, Jerusalem, to restore the sanctuary, that is the temple in Jerusalem, and to restore the people back to the land. And we read in verse 23, Daniel, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. God responds, and he says, even before the words are out of Daniel's mouth, yes, I will. I will hear you and answer you. And we see in verse 25 that the word that went out when Daniel prayed was the word to rebuild Jerusalem. God pulled the trigger, gave the command to let the Jews return home and rebuild their city and make it happen. Isn't that amazing? That whole nations shifted in history because of the prayer of Daniel. And God sends this angel to flight and answer in response to a man's pleas for repentance and mercy. It's like what James says in chapter 5, that the prayers of a righteous man are great powerful. Uh, they have great power as they are working. And we may not get the angel Gabriel coming and interrupting our prayers and tapping us on the shoulder with a vision every time we pray, But I really believe that in heaven we will see incredible ways in which God has answered the prayers of us as a church and we as a people that we will never actually see here on earth. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pray. Pray with assurance, knowing that God hears you when you pray to be saved from your sin. And that's true for all of us. I want us all to pray, but I especially want to encourage those who this morning, like Daniel and the Jews, who felt far from God, who feel in this room now like they're in darkness, who feel like them far from the Lord. Turn to God. Seek his face in prayer. Repent of your sins. And ask the Lord to complete the work in you of redemption. Now for us, that does, that means we're not asking for God to take us from Babylon over to Israel, but rather it's, it's asking for Christ's Spirit to bear fruit in us. It's asking for Christ's Spirit to root out particular sins in us. And ultimately, it's asking for Christ to return to put an end to sin forever, to cast death itself into the grave, and to take us to be with him in glory. And like Daniel, who prayed in this passage during the time of the evening sacrifice, brothers and sisters, our prayers are like sweet, pleasing incense that rises up to God and comes into his nostrils. He loves them, he hears them, and he acts upon them. God answers the prayers of his repentant people when they ask for salvation from their sins. But secondly, this morning, God has his own timeline for our salvation. That's another thing that we can learn from this passage. God has his own timeline. Look at verse 24 for a second. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city. God's timeline is 70 weeks or 77s. When Daniel wrote the word that he uses, week and seven are the same words. So 70 weeks or 77s. And here's what it means. That God's timeline for the salvation of his people is definite. But it often takes longer than we would like. This was the case for Daniel. And I think some of the broader context will be helpful here. Daniel had been soaking in the book of Jeremiah. Do you remember from last week, we read that Daniel saw in the book of Jeremiah as he was doing his devotions, that Jeremiah had written and prophesied that after 70 years, God would bring his people back from Babylon to Jerusalem and restore them. Jeremiah's concern in the portions where Daniel is reading is God's relationship with his people, God's covenant with his people. God's people had sinned. They had run after other gods. They did not love the Lord their God. And because of their sin, God punished them. Armies invaded. They steamrolled the city. They destroyed the temple so it was desolate. And they sent the people into exile. But through the prophet Jeremiah, God had promised that after 70 years, I will bring you back. But he made an even greater promise, too, through Jeremiah. He said, I will promise that there will be a time when I will enter into a new relationship with my people. I will enter into a new covenant with my people. Here's what he said. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts." Jeremiah is looking ahead to a time when God would relate to his people differently, where he would not just give them laws written on tablets of stone that they would constantly break, but instead he would give them new hearts. He would actually write his law on their hearts so that they wouldn't always be disobeying God, wouldn't always be running away from him, and therefore wouldn't always be bringing the curse of God's law on them. I think that this is what Daniel wants when he prays his prayer in chapter 9. And God's reply to Daniel is, yes, I will restore Jerusalem, and I will return the Jews to the land, but establishing a new covenant with my people and making them holy will take longer than just 70 years in exile. Instead, it will take 77s. I don't think that's meant to be a specific number of years, the exact number of years when God was establish His relationship in his new covenant. Rather, I think it's symbolic. It stands for a complete duration of time. Do you remember when Peter came up to Jesus one time and he said, Lord, how often must I forgive my brother who sins against me? As many as seven times. And what did Jesus say? I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And some translations even say, I do not say seven times, but seventy sevens of times. What do you think Jesus is saying here? Yes, Peter, forgive, bear with them 77 times. But on the 78th, let them have it. Just rip into him. No, he's not. Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying always forgive him. Forgive him completely. And so, too, in Daniel, when we read about 77s, God's saying that he has a timeline for his redeeming his people, but it won't be right away. It'll take the full amount of time that God has decreed for it to take, seventy sevens, but he won't delay it even one hour past that time. What do we do with this? When you feel discouraged because God feels distant, or when you feel hopeless because of a sin you can't shake, take comfort in the fact that God has a certain plan for your sanctification. He has promised to work in you. Some sins conquered in this life. All sins conquered in heaven. Remember what Paul said in the book of Philippians? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. All the things that you feel shroud you with darkness, All the things that you feel like put up barriers between you and your Father in heaven will one day be gone on a fixed day that God has set to send his Son to return and to call you home. We should never be okay with our sin. We should always fight against it. But knowing this helps us be patient and endure when the fight against our sin takes longer than we wish it would. And knowing this also gives us patience with other people when their sin splashes up on us and you're getting mud all over me and you wish that God would just hurry up and change their hearts already. That's what God wants us to know. He's promised he will do it. He will be faithful. We need to be patient as we wait for it. Well, thirdly this morning, I think that this text tells us that only Christ saves us. Only Christ brings hope to us in the darkness. And here's, we're going to dive into the details of the vision a little bit. Look at verse 24. Do you notice that there are six things that God has promised he's going to do? And this language is is mysterious. It's a little bit cryptic. It's hard to understand, but we'll get into it. Here's what he says. Seventy-sevens are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, oh, whatever that means. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal both vision and profit. What's going on there? To anoint a most holy place. Okay. For now, understand that these six things encompass God achieving his new relationship with his people. God consummating the New Covenant that Jeremiah talked about. And he's going to do this in a span of 77s, or 70 weeks. These 70 weeks, our passage shows, are split up into three different periods of time. Seven weeks, 62 weeks, and one week. Let's unpack this a little bit, okay? Do you notice that in... Verse 25, especially if you have maybe an ESV, I wonder if other translations do this too. There's a footnote, verse 25. I think that footnote better explains what Daniel means here. Let me, let me give it to all of you so you can see it. Here's what verse 25 says with that, using that footnote. From the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, from then to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, here's what it says, There shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. It shall be built with, again, with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. So, from the time that God decrees to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, that is, Jesus Christ, there is seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, which puts together makes sixty-nine weeks. Many people think, and I agree with them, here going to, here's where we're going to look at these three periods of weeks, that the seven weeks are from the time when God says that Jerusalem should be rebuilt to the time when Jerusalem is actually rebuilt. It's a relatively short time. And here's partially the answer to Daniel's prayer. In 538 B.C., the Jews were sent back to their home, and under the ministry of Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuilt the city, and they rebuilt the temple. But it was built in a troubled time. And that, if you'll remember from those books, Ezra and Nehemiah, Israel's neighbors did not let them have an easy time of it. They were constantly trying to stop the work and stop God's plan from going on. So, these seven weeks did not usher in the time of peace and security that Jeremiah had promised would come with the new covenant. Those are the seven weeks. We go on to the 62 weeks. That's the period of time from when Jerusalem was rebuilt until the time that Christ came. It's a much longer time. Hundreds of years, in fact. And after this period of 62 weeks... Comes one more week to make 70. And this one week is the life and work of Christ from when he came all the way until when he will come again. And we know that because at verse 26, it reads, after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. And that refers to Christ and his work. The point of all this is that Only with the coming of Jesus does God fulfill all his promises that he gave to Jeremiah. Christ is, from verse 25, the anointed one. Christ is the prince. He's both a priest, the anointed one, and he's a king. He's a prince. He alone can bring hope to us who are in darkness. He alone brings hope to those who, by their sin, have been cast away from the presence of their heavenly father. He alone does this. And he does it by bringing an end to your sin and by making you holy. Believer. Christ Alone brings an end to your sin. Do you remember those six things that we read in in verse 24 God would do? Look at the first three for a minute. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. All three of these things deal with God forgiving our sin. Let me be clear. There is nothing that you can do to wipe away the stain of guilt on your soul because of your sin. No amount of doing better next time, no amount of beating yourself up on the back, no amount of prayers and tears and sighs and wishing that things were different can do that. There is only one cure in the universe to do that, the cure for guilt of sin and the curse and punishment that comes with that, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But the blessings of God go beyond merely forgiving our sin. We are not now forgiven of our sin, and now we are morally neutral blank slates. It goes beyond that. And God actually makes us positively holy. Believer, Jesus Christ alone makes you holy. Daniel learned that 70 years of punishment in Babylon does not change your heart. (laughs) Look at verse 26. And the people of the prince who is to come, again, speaking of, that's Jesus, the prince. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. In other words, the Jewish people would destroy the very city and the very temple that they so badly wanted to be rebuilt. What's going on with that? When Jesus came... The Jewish nation as a whole rejected Jesus and its leaders put him to death. Talk about not having God's law written on your heart and listen what Jesus says about that. He says in Matthew 23, "O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing." See, Your house is left to you desolate. And here's what he says then. Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It was because their hearts went after other gods that the Lord, when Daniel was young, hundreds of years before, had sent the Babylonian armies to invade, destroy the city, destroy the temple, and take the people in exile. And now again in Jesus' day... It is because the people reject the Lord, their God, that God again sends foreign armies, this time the Romans. And in AD 70, they ravaged the place. This is what Daniel's talking about in the vision. Jerusalem and the temple came to an end in Jesus' day then, With a flood. I think that's figurative language. It came with war. God declared them to be utterly desolated. This is what I think the end of verse 27 refers to as well. Israel's time in exile didn't change them. Nothing but Jesus can change your heart. And this is what he does. This is the last three things that are mentioned in verse 24. You know the six things? Look at the last three. In Christ, God brings in everlasting righteousness. A righteousness brought from outside ourselves that God brings in and gives to us, Christ's righteousness given to us. in With Christ's work, God seals vision and profit. Uh, he talks about seal in the sense here of authenticating something, proving that it's true, vindicating it, saying uh, it is going to be true, it is going to happen. And he's speaking here of all the visions that God had given to the prophets in the Old Testament, like Jeremiah, promising to write his law on his people's hearts, promising to give them new hearts, promising to enter into a new everlasting covenant with them. By Christ's work, God did indeed do this. In Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. And in Christ, the last one, God anoints a most holy place or could be a most, a most holy person. Maybe this refers to Jesus' baptism or ascension when he received the Holy Spirit. Maybe it refers to Jesus when he went up into heaven and he sprinkled heaven, the holy of holy places with his blood. In either case, whatever it means, I do think it trickles down to mean that because of Christ's work, we are anointed with the Holy Spirit. Believer. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on you like oil, making you a priest. And the Holy Spirit makes you holy because of what Christ has done, which is another way of saying that Christ establishes the new covenant with us. Look at verse 27. "...and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week." When Jesus came, the 70th week, the last week, began. He entered into a new covenant with his people, the many. The Bible says that Christ gave his life as a ransom for many. And the second half of the verse 27, "...and for half of the week he shall put an end to sin and offering." I think the reason it says half of the week is because Christ's life, death, and ongoing ministry until he returns is the week. And halfway through it, he dies and is put to death on the cross. By his death, by his sacrifice on the cross, once for all for sins, he put an end to the need for constant goats and bulls to be offered. Which means that now, Christian, the fourth and final point, you live in the week of liberation from sin. You live in the week of liberation from sin. The week that Daniel, Jeremiah, and all of Israel so desperately looked forward to. You live in it. We live in the 70th week, a week that will end when Christ returns. And and that's emphasized by the fact that it's called the 70th seven. Uh, Let me show you. It's a wonderful thing. God has designed the very rhythm of time to display the glory of Jesus Christ. He gave his people in the Old Testament the weekly Sabbath. Do you remember that? Every seventh day, they were to stop working and rest from their work. The idea being... We rest from our jobs. We rest from from trying to earn our salvation. It was a picture of God's saving us. But not only did every seven days they were told to rest, similarly every seventh year was supposed to be a rest, a Sabbath rest for the land. The people weren't supposed to sow crops. They weren't supposed to reap reap crops. And again, it was a picture of how God were to save us. But it goes even further. Every seven periods of seven sabbath years that is every 49 years every seven periods of seven years was called a year of jubilee trumpets sounded liberty was proclaimed to people who had, had sold their land or themselves because of the debts that they had and they were they were sold they were told that they were free And they were restored to their land, and it was a picture of what Jesus would do spiritually in us, in setting us free from sin. By calling the time that Jesus would come, and by calling his week the 70th seven, it's like saying that Jesus' work is a year of jubilee on steroids. It's not just a period of seven sevens, but it's a period of seventy. Sevens. It's like saying that it's intensified to the max degree. And this is exactly what Jesus did. About Jesus, we read from Isaiah the prophet. Oh, I went the wrong way, excuse me. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Christian, We are not trapped forever in an endless cycle of sin and God's curse on it. Sin and God's curse on it that we cannot get out of. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been set free from the bondage of sin. It is no longer your master. Remind yourself of that when it crouches at your door to devour you, when all feels dark, when you feel far from God. And similarly, Satan, the strong man, has been bound. When he tries to overwhelm you, do not fear. He is not your master. You do not belong to him. He has no claim over you. Try as they might, sin and Satan will not have the final say. And at the end of this 70th week that we live in, when Jesus returns, he will come with yet another trumpet call. And what he has begun in us by his spirit, he will complete. The covenant he has made with you is strong. He has sealed it with his blood. He will not break it. Do you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for what you've told us in your word. And we thank you, too, that we live in the week that Daniel and Jeremiah and Israel looked forward to for so many years. We thank you that we get to enjoy the blessings of being in this new covenant, of having your law written on our hearts, of being made righteous, of our sin being forgiven, of being made holy, and the, the hope of heaven that we will enjoy one day. We pray that for those in this room who are feeling overwhelmed, who feel in the darkness, feel like their sin has them by the throat, that you would encourage them, that you would give them endurance to persevere, and that you would complete the work that you've begun in them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.